Hey everyone, this is Tom McCaffrey. You're listening to the Last Exit to Brooklyn podcast on Storic Media Podcast Network. Thanks a lot. You're a winner. You can do it. Hey everybody, welcome to the show. Uh, thanks for tuning in, um, listening. Last we're, exit to Brooklyn. I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I said we're back. We're, yeah. Been, <laughs> yeah, thank you for pointing that out. <laughs> we're not back. So, um, a few, we have a guest coming on in a little bit. Uh, I'll give him a, uh, an official intro when he comes on, but uh, John Fugel saying he has his own show on Sirius XM that me and Eric do a lot. Really cool guy. He's, done, he's been in a lot of stuff. I met him years ago. Um, <laughs> I actually met him in LA when I first started comedy, and I remember really? he was on. Yeah, he was on, and it was when he was on that show with Daisy Fuentes. It was America's oh. Funniest Home Videos. Right, right. So I remember it was like he came on the show. I, I've been doing comedy like a year, year and a half, and it was like a, he, he was kind of like a big shot of the show, you know, because he was like a guy who actually was on TV. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so, I, you know, real quick, I want to you know, talk about that Chris D'Elia thing. Uh, the story is that he uh, had relations with a lot of or several or some underage women. Or trying to. They keep I'm saying trying. he was grooming underage girl. What does that mean? <laughs> I don't know, but... <laughs> That's such uh, an odd term. What do you mean? Like, he, does that mean he's trying to bang them? Or it sounds um, like he's getting ready to bang them. Or like he's getting them ready. You know, I think that's just the line he used, you know. He's like, yeah, I want to take you under my wing. But you know what that really means. Yeah. <laughs> But I, I said that guy has ever wanted to take his <laughs> wing. I don't know. I feel like he's a dude that could have had a lot of different women. Maybe go for the twenties at least. You know. I but know it's so clear. He looks so guilty. He looks exactly <laughs> like it. That's his problem. Like his face just screams exactly that. Like someone right. who. And I'm not defending it, but I feel. Like, I mean. Some of them are like kind of iffy. Like they'll be like, "Look at these texts," and it'll be like, "Hey, you want to hang out?" And they're right. like, "No." <laughs> okay, so what exactly happened? I don't know. I mean, I'm not saying that's good, but I think I, for, for a lot of comics or something, it's just some sh- Schadenfreude, as they say. I, I think he didn't have a lot of. I think he had. Yeah, everyone kind of hated him, right? I remember last time I was out in LA. That's. I mean, all the comics were just shitting on him. This was a few years back when he was. Uh, Is he known he, to be a dick, or like I just I I know that no one was respe- I feel like the main thing with him is no one respected him as a comedian. I feel like that was the consensus. Right, he was kind of doing like the Dane Cook thing or something. But you know, I, he he look he did really well, and you know, I feel like some of it was jealousy. You know, he had Definitely. kind of an easy he had an easy life. His father was a big whatever. You know, he probably never had a work in his life. So I think there's probably a lot of resentment there. Yeah, he just kind of blew up and he wasn't... I mean, I, I was neither here nor there with him. I never was a fan, but I, I never, like, outright... I never hated him or anything. I just... I think I watched maybe five like five minutes of his comedy once and I was just... It's, his comedy is just very... Um, 
LA. Yeah, it's yeah. Frat boy. And just like, isn't it just about banging? It's not like any new angle. And he does look so. I I always thought that before any of this. Like, I knew he got like a lot of chicks and stuff, but I was always like, I would look at him as a guy that I was like, I guess he's good looking. Like women think he's good looking. I just like I don't see. I don't know why women would. I mean, I guess it was because he was like rich and famous. He's like a bad boy, you know. And look, yeah, I guess that's what it was. He was kind of like a bad boy, like long yeah. hair and the beard. Um, you know, when you're but, like that, you don't have to be beautiful. You can just be, you know, wear a leather jacket and you're you're good to go. Yeah. You know? But I think that they did think he would like like he was thought of as like this heartthrob or something. I was always like, but he always did just look. He looked when this story came out. It was I wasn't. It was funny to me that it gained such traction and everyone was so outraged. I'm like, yeah, he totally looks like a guy who would try to. And I. I'm, like again, I'm not too funny, but I feel like isn't the whole point of becoming a rich and famous comedian is that you might be able to bang like <laughs> seventeen year old chicks? I mean, I feel like that's kind of the whole really that's the point of it, right? <laughs> I'm gonna stay out of this one. This guy's getting in enough trouble. He's I'm not making- saying like I wouldn't do it, but I feel like it doesn't surprise me that someone like can you believe this guy when he was. 32 was trying to bang 17 year olds. I'm like, yes, I totally believe that. But the thing is, is maybe it's a thing for this guy because, uh, you know, he could have gotten plenty of 20 year olds, you know? Yeah. That's the thing. And if he's, you see a pattern there, it's like people have, you know, it's like Woody Allen kind of thing. It's like, I know. And then I, I, this happened literally, it came out, I had just finished watching the Epstein thing. So, that was like really fresh in my mind and i'm like oh man it's pretty it is yeah. man these guys they're so i mean i i guess it just becomes like a um you're untouchable and you have no consequences you could do whatever you want and i mean at the same time like with this crystalia thing a lot of these women were contacting him at first right. you know like they're like hey i'm a big fan and he's like hey come over and i, I mean Again, I'm not defending it, but it's, you know, kind of like... Right, but apparently on one site, he saw that the girl, she was 17. She had it on her Tinder profile, wherever the hell she had it. It said, I'm 17. And I'm like, you know what? You're rich. You're yeah. famous. You can get a lot of women. Why don't you let that one slide? Yeah, why not 18? I don't know. Yeah, yeah. That, that, but I think, I guess that's part of it. Like, the fact that they're like, well, I can get a 16-year-old. Fuck me. Like, wow. You know what I mean? That's... You ever look at 16-year-old girls now? They look like children. I don't. I don't really I think they. I, he was quoted saying that they look so much older. I mean, there's no was, sixteen. It's like from six to twenty-five. Right. You said thing I sent you, but yeah. like, I mean, so sixteen-year-old women have breasts, but to me, you know, they look young. They look really. Young. Oh, they, they do. Young. Yeah. No. And and you know the the whole thing with like you know oh I want to bang young chicks like anytime I've like you know you know hooked up with like a young chick which is like. If I hooked up with like a twenty-two-year-old, I, I felt like kind of gross about it. You know right. what I mean? Like, and it, I, I didn't. I almost kind of didn't like. I didn't like it because it seemed to. It made me feel like a creepy old guy in that situation, right. and it is. It's creepy, and I don't know where. Where did this thing come? It come into play where if you're like over twenty years old as a woman, you're just like disgusted. I don't know. It's like even when I was like really young, I would see like hot. Like there were hot celebrities who were forty who I thought were really hot. You yeah, know? And it wasn't like this weird thing of like, oh, you're you're over twenty. Oh, disgusting. I mean, there's hot over there's hot 
45 year olds there's ugly 16 year olds well, you know what i see the hot 40 year olds i appreciate more because you know when you get older how much more work it takes to stay hot when you're yeah. 18 19 that's the best you ever look in your life basically you know what i mean or yeah. close to it so you don't even have to work to be hot yeah know? so i feel like when a 40 year old looks hot i know that they're kind of taking care of themselves you know and right and at the same time it's that's it's that thing they always say like, what being around a 20 year old or a 17 year old could you even imagine what would you say to that <laughs> <laughs> for more than three minutes well he does lots of jokes about instagram and shit and you know so no, I know he was. A, he's a total scumbag, and yeah. like clearly, I think what it was is he what he had a lot of success, and his whole life has been so easy. He's gotten anything he wanted, and these chicks were, you know, he was living that lifestyle. He even kind of said that, right? Like, doesn't he kind of say, "Oh, I didn't do any of this, but I was living this lifestyle." Yeah. Like, what does that mean? He tried to hide a, behind the drunk thing a little bit too. He's like, "I never knowingly did this," which he was basically oh, kind of right. saying, "Oh, you know, I was drunk, but I, I don't know." I guess. Yeah. I mean, but you're I supposed know. to be. I mean, you're supposed to be a little cognizant of that when you get to. You know, when you get when you're older. You, you know, the whole thing of like being someone under eighteen. Yeah. You know, you're aware that it's a problem. But that's what's freaky is that he went out of there, went out of his way to pursue these chicks he knew were sixteen. Um, that's crazy. That is so fucking young. Yeah. I mean, again. I don't know. I, I, that's why I think when you have the option of having all different age groups of women and you keep going that way, I feel like you have some sort of, you know, compulsion for it. I do. Yeah. I mean, like something. young women. Definitely. It's like becomes like a power thing, a status thing. Like, yeah, like Roman Polanski, like they, they found out that that girl wasn't the only one. He, he liked young women, like 15 and 16, which back then wasn't I know. frowned upon as much. But you knew back then, I'm sure, <laughs> that that wasn't great. That whole Roman Polanski thing, people like only finally turned on him, what, like three months ago? <laughs> <laughs> people were finally like, oh, I guess that was fucked up that he like <laughs> drugged and fucked these six. Wasn't she like 14 or something? Yeah, and he did it in the butt. He was butt rape, basically. I mean, isn't that amazing that like, I mean, it was literally, I think a year ago that people finally were like, okay, did they take away his Oscars or? No, you can't take away someone's Oscars, but, but they think, kicked him out of the Academy. I think that's what they did. Yeah. That's when I think they kicked Cosby out. So they're like, they also didn't want to make it like a racial thing. So they just started kicking everybody out who had any, you know, which is right. probably the right move because, you know, if Cosby's kicked out and this guy should go, you know? Yeah, they stood by him for a long time, though. They, like, refused. I mean, I almost feel like he was, like, almost thought of as the victim for a while in that situation. Yeah, yeah I think you just don't... Uh, I guess because the wor the woman forgave him later on, I think, at some point. Um, yeah. But then you started finding out that he was doing it with other women, so he's a predator, you know? Yeah, definitely. And Chris D'Elia, I'm sure, was... I mean, I can't even imagine how many 16, 17-year-olds he ended up banging, you know what I mean? Right, who um, are probably now like whatever? I thought he was hot. <laughs> I, I'm actually blown away how by how how much of a following he has. Oh, huge! Just because, like, I mean, he's okay, but again, he's one of those guys. Everyone just acts like he's like, oh, he's so great. I'm like, really? I mean, I just it's like the older I get, I just I just realize I just don't understand the world. Like, I don't understand what people like and don't like. Mm -hmm. Um. 
and he just he totally represents hot you know the worst of hollywood just because what his dad was some huge like tv producer or something yeah and i think that was always a knock on him that like people thought that oh yeah well we know that as comedians and if you don't have to actually do a day job forget about just connections in the business you don't have to do a day job you know yeah and he also um the whole a big thing about him was he was uh justin bieber's favorite comedian oh was he well that was like the big thing he was really good friends with justin bieber and justin bieber like was like oh this is my favorite comedian that's why he was on like the justin bieber roast oh right right, right. you ever meet um crystalia no i never did i just just you know i was a new york comic you know and i never and he never really he was probably in new york at times but not uh, like i know some uh los angeles comics that didn't were kind of happy about this whole thing going down so yeah, you know, it's been a lot of I know them. there's this one comedian that was in and out of New York that I won't say his name, but you knew him too, and he was he was a total dick, and apparently he was kind of like good friends with him or something. Oh, really? Yeah, it's this guy. He, you know, that I won't say his name, um, yeah. but uh, he's not. You know, he he was an LA guy, but he was in New York for a little while, and he would kind of come in and out and he's he's really mean and then i just when i think i brought his name up a few times and everyone was always like oh he's such a prick he's like the guy i'm talking about like just looks he he like like douchey frat boy kind of a thing he's yeah. like good looking but he like this guy that i'm talking about like looks like a, like a date rapist right, and right. like and just looks mean and i think when i first met him i i was you know, I, I wasn't like just judging him on his face, but he his face looked mean, and then he he ended up being really mean. Um, and uh, apparently, I he was friends with Crystal, you know, and I was like, yeah, of course he is. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's the thing. Like, I know, but he was like for a couple of years. Crystal was huge. I mean, he he was on that show with Whitney Cummings. Yeah, that was kind of the first time I'd yeah. heard of him. That was then, his. Yeah. And then he was on another sitcom, and then, you know, I think now in his career, I think he had a very good career right now. But he's yeah. probably on on a slow descent, but you know, a solid working comic. Well, always. he was always like, d doesn't he have like a bunch of Netflix specials and stuff? Yeah, he had the Netflix. I guess so. He might still be higher that because yeah, if you get a Netflix special, uh, that's never going to happen again. <laughs> Yeah, never. because I mean, of this, you mean? Yeah, because Netflix, so many people want specials with them anyway, and. Yeah they're very sensitive with this stuff as you know um i mean you know that guy danny masterson the one who yeah was on that Netflix? shit's crazy that he like actually got arrested right yeah but the second that went down a couple of years ago where they found out this danny masterson had raped women 20 years ago he was on that show uh the other show with uh, the ranch and, yeah with ashton Kutcher, and they they fired him immediately like immediately I think you're kind of a little low. Can you turn oh, your thing up a little okay. bit? Was I, I mean, I can hear you okay. What? Oh, was I too low the whole time? No, it's fine, but can okay. you talk? Yeah. You're fine. I just, it was a little bit. Okay. But I, th yeah, it's amazing with him because I remember that story came out with him like two years ago and then when all, with, when all that shit was going down and then um, to read that he actually uh, – is getting arrested and they're going to prosecute him. I mean, that guy's yeah. facing like 40 years in jail. I, I mean, know that guy's that. over, right? Yeah, I think he would. <laughs> <laughs> that guy is that. He is fucking. I mean, he already kind of was ruined, right? Because didn't they kick him off that show? Yeah, they kicked him off the ranch. And that was, that was, um, 
you know, that was like immediate. That was immediate. They didn't yeah. even like say, hey, maybe you know, let's look into this. It was really during the whole Me Too stuff. It so. was during that moment when yeah. like, if anyone just said something, it was like, all right, well, he's done. Yeah. But it seems like if these women are pursuing him, Danny Masterson, 20 years later, and, uh, you know, it seems like, well, I mean, a woman would have to be cruel to fucking make something like that up 20 years later. I mean, do I, you think I think this guy is definitely guilty? He, he again, he looks kind of like a, ra- a guy who would do that. Yeah. Why do you think these guys do? Why do they just rape everybody? They're rich and fame. Why do they? It's a power rape thing. People? You know, it's a power thing, you know? I mean, I, mean, I know I'm, I'm coming at it from a completely different, you know, place. I don't, I'm, I've never been in that situation. And I, I'm sure you've never, I, ra- you've never raped anybody. <laughs> no, I've never. Yeah, well, let's put that out there. But <laughs> I mean, in terms of like, I've never been like 20 years old and just rich and famous, and everyone's throwing themselves at you, and you get anything you want, and right. there's you know, so that that must change your experience of the world, like how you look at the world. You know, you're especially with women. I think, you know. I think that guy was big from the time he was like 17 on and could probably sleep with anyone he wanted. I think what happens is they're, they're so used to getting it from anyone. If they ever come across a woman who's like not immediately into it, they're kind of like, what are you kidding me? Like, right. I think in their mind, they're almost like, this is, of course you want to fuck me. You're just playing. It's kind of like the Aziz thing. When like right, Aziz right, yeah. like, what are you talking about? Another date. This isn't how it works. There might be an element to that because like Aziz seems like you know people are calling him a rapist and it's like it just seems like this was a guy who just i i think with him he also had just very bad experiences with women before he yeah was famous. i think yeah. his was more an entitlement thing yeah. of like what are you talking about like how like i'm rich and fame i'm aziz and sorry how could you not want to be blowing me right now <laughs> um so i think that's the that's what i mean that when you don't have have that experience from the time you're like 20 years old yeah, I th- it's just you know it's like the world is just a different place for these guys, and they you know they're not they're not having the experience of like oh I'm going to go out with a woman I don't know what'll happen maybe hopefully she'll be into me you right. know I don't know theirs is like everyone is into me how could anyone not be into me so I yeah. think they almost like convince themselves well I mean they really want it even if they're not <laughs> saying they want it right now um, but I mean just but- to seek out. 16 and 17 years. You listen, you're, I, I don't oh, care. It's, it's, it's really bad. That's, that's like, yeah, I mean, you're seeking them out. It's not even like, all right, fine. They're, they're playing with you a little bit. They're, you know, but when you're a 16 year old girl and some famous guy starts texting you, you, you know, you're not going to be like, fuck you. You're, you know, you might flirt a little bit. Yeah, you're right. And I remember but if I, you're the adult in the room. You got to know. Exactly. That's good. the thing. And, the, and yeah. that all goes out the window in entertainment and especially in comedy because comedians for the most part, not all of them, but, for the most part, just such scumbags, especially if they're really successful. Right. I think it's just like anything goes. They're just like, I think they're like, yeah, this is what I'm doing this for. Like, what am I supposed to do? These 16 year olds want, I remember like four or five years ago, I was at a bar and I met this girl. I think she was like 20 mm-hmm. and um, she was kind of flirting with me. I, and like, I might've, I think I'm whatever. She, she gave me her number and she kept texting me. We were going to like hang out. And then she was like, hey, do you want me to send you like nude pictures of myself? And I was right. like, no. And I yeah. said, I was like, no, don't do that. That's, it. That's evidence right there. No, but it was also like, it was more like, look, don't like, like I felt she was so young. I was like, look, don't send. I don't know you. 
you're, you're just sending dudes you don't know nude photo like that's insane like why would you ever i think i said that to her like you shouldn't do that like <laughs> and again and it wasn't even like oh i was because she was she was like 20 but at the same time i was like i don't want this like yeah well that's like a generation thing too because it's like i think that's what young people do it's just i think a lot of them will grow old to re regret what they did yeah so can you hear me now i'm loud enough yeah you sound fine now okay. uh, i don't know where our guest is so i'm he's, trying to figure yeah this out. hopefully we'll just he's, keep he's going. coming he's uh <laughs> so uh, yeah, I don't know. That's uh, so the Danny. Ma so basically, it was like a, a um, basically, I watched the Epstein documentary. Then the yeah. next day was Crystalia and Danny Masterson. I saw yeah. trending. Um, but I mean, with that, the Epstein, at least when you look at him, you're like, not only could that guy not get sixteen year old girls, that guy could not get any girl that wasn't paid for. But. You know why? This, what? What is? The, I don't understand. These guys are billionaires, and they can't. And he wasn't like an. What? They can get women, and Epstein could get women, but either they know he's a billionaire or he's paying for it. You know. I know, but it was such like a weird. Everything about it was. I mean, obviously, he was crazy and had some weird sexual compulsion and dysfunction. Um, but the stories are so. I, I after a while, I was kind of like doesn't this start to be just like how enjoyable is it that you're getting these 17 16 year old girls to come over and like massage you and then you're jerking off in front of them yeah. I'm like how is that i mean you're just doing that every day because i mean it was like hundreds of girls yeah but he's um, you know i mean it's just a sickness these guys are sick. that's what it is it yeah. kind of, and i you know kind of reminds me of that you know that movie about bob crane <laughs> oh yeah the Hogan's Heroes guy, the movie they, again? Autofocus. Um, autofocus, yeah. And it kind of, you know, that what was interesting about that movie is he, yeah, it was like a, a compulsion and like a sickness. He was a sex addict. And his, I don't think, was even, I'm sure he had sex with underage girls, but it was mainly just he couldn't stop um, having sex with women and videotaping it. But it, it was one of those things where, Again, it sounds like a dream in this at the beginning of the when you hear about the situation because he's famous and he could just go any night and and sleep with any woman. But at the end of the day, it like brought him down. You know what I mean? Right. It was like his um his endless options was actually something that it's kind of it always reminds me of like that uh, that Twilight Zone where the guy dies and he's a really shitty guy and he, he's he thinks he's in heaven because they ba he basically gets anything he wants uh, all the yeah. time. Like he yeah. can sleep with any woman and he, and he gets really sick of it. Right. And he's like, Oh, this, and he was like a bad guy in life. He was like a murderer. And he's like, I don't know. I want to get out of here. This isn't, I should go to the other place. And he's like, you are in the other place. So the whole thing is that <laughs> getting everything he wants is hell. But and let me ask you a question. How long would it take you to get sick of that? Like in the um, show, how long did it take him? Like a, a day? He's like, this is awful. Probably like probably like a few weeks. A few weeks. <laughs> I don't know. They don't really say, but it's basically like everything. Like he's a gambler, so he goes to a casino and he wins every hand. Right. And then he's like, "Well, I don't want. Well, I, you know, it's not fun if I'm winning every hand." And they're like, "Okay, well, do you want to lose a hand? Tell us when you want to lose." He's like, "No, I I just want to lose sometimes." Ah, uh, okay. And they're like, "No, no, you you win every. You get anything you want here." So it kind of reminds you. I, I must like with the auto focusing. It's like that guy built his own living hell after right. a while because he couldn't stop. 
And so I think people view these guys as having this like, you know, oh, it's such a great life. They can just have anyone they want at any point. It's like, I actually feel like that sounds like it would be hell after a while. I mean, right. <laughs> Um, I guess, and I, I in autofocus, yeah. right? His he was like he had he was rich and famous, and he was a good looking dude. But he wasn't like on that. That was like sort of the downside of his career, right? So he was looking things to fill the void. Bob Crane, yeah, yeah. I, pr- I think it, I don't think he was on that show anymore. That when he was well, he was when it when he first was doing it, and oh, that okay. was kind of what helped. But then, yeah, it was that thing where the show got canceled, and he was using it the show to get women and then after a while i think what started to happen was he got the rep it kind of he he starts spiraling out of control because he was so addicted to sex right and then i think he got a rep around hollywood because he was doing a lot of like family you know he was known as like a kind of a family guy right and so once that kind of got around they didn't want to hire him for anything um but i i always liked that story because it's it, it really is indicative of like I remember, I saw an interview with Chris Rock, and he talked about how he got married. And he said, if he hadn't gotten married, it just he 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 would have been just out of control, right? Because keeps you grounded, you know, in a way. Yeah, because he was almost he didn't say this specifically, but it was almost a way of being like, if I was just this rich and famous guy, and I was single, it would have been like I I would have gotten so sidetracked by everything. Right. And I guarantee you, like, Chris Rock was sleeping with other women, but I think when you get in that stage, he did it in, like, the responsible way where he was married. I think there was an understanding of, like, all right, every now and then yeah. I'll sleep with someone. <laughs> like, if, there, if this hot chick is throwing her, I think he almost convinced himself to that. But, but you know, it's funny with him because I, I remember this was, like, I don't know, a few years back, and uh, I was at the cellar, and I, I think I was sitting at the table with some of the comics, this comedy cellar table where all the big comics go. Yeah. And he, he showed up there, and I think it was right after his divorce, and he was going on a date. Oh, really? And he was telling people at the table, he was, it, was very kind of, it was kind of endearing. He's like, I'm a little nervous I'm going on a date. And I was just sitting there like, dude, <laughs> you're Chris Rock. You got this. You know? But, yeah. You know, he might have, maybe he was with his wife for all those years and he was new to the dating world, you know? It's, you know, for anyone that's still, I think even maybe more for someone rich and famous because you kind of don't know what anyone's intentions are, really. Yeah, I think people think it'd be a dream come true, but it probably would be kind of a nightmare. Yeah. Um, I'd like to live the nightmare a little bit just to see. Yeah, I mean, I feel like it's one of those things it would be great at first, but it's like, you know, moderation. You know, everything is good in moderation. If you get too much of it, it becomes unenjoyable. And then I think what gets scary is when you get so used to it, it's like an addiction. You, when mm-hmm. you're getting it all the time, it's hard to just stop. You know what I mean? Once right. you're this guy who can just get, you know, 17 year old, 18 year old hot women all the time. Like it's hard for you to just one day be like, you know, all right, no more of that. I'm right, going right. to, uh, but I mean, it's, it's, pro- it's, I think it'd be the same thing as like quitting drugs and having to make a decision to quit like, you know, doing cocaine or something or drinking, right. you really have to be like, all right, this is bad. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it's kind of a, you know, it's an interesting thing. Cause he's, he's one of those guys I always looked at and was like, oh, that guy lives a charmed life. Yeah. Yeah. You know, he's known for just, he gets so many women and he's rich, he's famous. And, and I think know. that's why though, especially comics work, we're, we're all kind of a miserable, jealous bunch. And especially yeah. when it comes to comics who get laid a lot. Uh, right. I think there, cause you just look at social media. A lot of people are fucking happy about this one. 
you know? Yeah, like and I people saw... People jumping on him more, like, people were kind of quiet more about Louis C.K. for a while because he was so big and so respected. Yeah. But this guy has... is not really respected, and I think people didn't like him, so... Yeah, and I think the fact that you, on. <laughs> I know that's what I noticed. I mean, I'm like, not talking wow, about. Everyone's... I'm actually talking about comics are piling on. That's what yeah. I that's why I, I like yeah. big comedians were immediately. Sh- and I think it it does come down to I think just he wasn't respected in comedy at all. Yeah. Like no one was like, oh, I love. It was it was like a bunch of like seventeen year olds that thought he was like amazing. You know? you know, I do. I I have to say though, like watching him, like. And that's like, the, sometimes it's like one of the weird compliments you can give someone a backhand compliment in comedy. He was a good performer. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, when you, when someone ever tells you that after you get on stage, you know, it's like, oh, you did well, but you, what you did up there was ridiculous. You know, it's, it's almost like the worst compliment you can give a comedian. Yeah. I, I'm trying to think of, um, I, I think I tried to watch one of his specials a little bit. And I was just like, oh, this is not... This is and he did, you know, he just came off very arrogant and cocky. And yeah, I mean, it was like kind of very Dane Cookish. It was very although Dane I, I thought I thought I liked Dane Cook more. Oh, I did. I thought I know. Yeah, I actually I did. T- I had a moment of thinking Dane Cook was actually really good when he was first coming up. All right, we have really our guest. What's up? We have our guest. Oh, okay. Okay, so are we ready? Should I intro him before? Um... Uh, yeah. Well, when he gets on, I guess. Eric, hi, Steel saying. Hey, yes. Hang How are you doing? Everything okay? I'm so sorry. I just sent you an email. I just got in. I apologize. Oh, no problem. We were just chatting beforehand. Oh, uh, I'm so, so sorry. I'll make it up to you. Let me close this door. Hang on. Okay. We were just talking shit about you. <laughs> this is Tom, by the way. Yeah. Hey, what's up, man? All right. You're wearing headphones, so I will wear headphones, too. Hi. Okay. It's good to see you. Guys, I'm so sorry to keep you waiting. Uh, That's no all right. Uh, no. All right. So um, we, we have a guest. Uh, Big guest, huge guest, huge guest. Um, John Fugel saying he's been, uh, he's done uh, all sorts of things. One of the <laughs> one big thing, he was murdered like, on CSI once. Yeah, um, he's picketed by Westboro Baptist Church. Um, he got uh, Ro- Mitt Romney's advisor to call Mitt and etch a sketch on CNN. That's that's yeah, quite yeah. A, a feat. <laughs> Uh, and he once interviewed George Harrison and Paul McCartney on different continents. That's really in cool. the same week. Mm. How many people can say that? And has um, a great, great show on Sirius. Amazing show. He has show. a show on Sirius XM uh, called Tell Me Everything. It's uh, weekdays on uh, channel 121. Is that right? 127. 127. Okay, oh. that's totally wrong what I said. Um, we used to be 121. That was the old show, Tom. We haven't invited you to the new one. <laughs> Actually, I think I have done the new one. You have done the new one, oh, yes. Oh, too yeah. bad. <laughs> too bad. Um so and, how you uh, how you doing? Yeah. So hey, man, how are you? Thanks for uh, Hi, thanks for guys. Joining us. Yeah. Really a pleasure to be on your show. Thank you very much. Um, I'm sorry to keep you waiting. Uh, I'm no, a big fan of, of both of you, and uh, thank you both for doing my show so many times. And I just I love it when uh, creative people I like work together. But it's also nice that you guys are working together too. Oh, all right. yeah. All right. Well, great. This is uh, this is already a great start. Um, so what your, are you? Is that a virtual background or is that your house? Uh, this is my house, yes. I, I, I've tried to jazz it up, but I just thought, you know what? Putty-colored walls, it seems to be what's in this year. looks very jazzy. looks like uh, there's an, an owl eye behind you, which is... There's um, an owl eye behind me. There's 
Leonard Cohen with a naked woman there. There's some Beatles dolls up there. Oh, There's wow. uh, all matter of malfeasance up in here. I, I, I have like a few different places I shoot. There's the disco basement, but uh, that doesn't really work for this. And uh, and I try to shoot out in the backyard, but then like air conditioners are going and it sounds like there's a, you know, a, a Luftwaffe raid overhead. So oh, okay. it's good to see both of you. It looks like Eric is out uh, on, on Batman's perch <laughs> overlooking Gotham and Tom is somewhere at an undisclosed location. Uh, I'm actually, I'm in, I'm, in the, find him. I'm in the next room over from you. <laughs> okay, nice. I like so. Bernie and Elton. <laughs> yeah. Hey, you, so, you know where I, Tom I was, is right now? Where's Tom? Oh, he's in uh, Dallas, Texas. I'm in Dallas, Texas. Oh, right on. Yeah. Have you been to Dallas a lot? I or? have been to Dallas. I love Dallas, yes. You do? Okay. Largest crowd like, I ever played to was in Dallas. The what? I played to a crowd of 750,000 once in Dallas. What? Yeah, I was at this big concert for VH1 at the racetrack at the, at the NASCAR raceway and Chris Rock's helicopter got delayed and they asked me to go out for 10 minutes and vamp in between like No Doubt and Wallflowers. So, wow. Uh, yeah. You, what, what year was that? Jesus. Uh, late, late 90s, late 90s. Obviously, so, No Doubt and Wallflowers selling out of Dallas. <laughs> so NASCAR this was a couple weeks ago? Yeah, a couple weeks ago. Yeah, there was no one there. It's all, yeah, we just, we broke through the chain link and went in there. Yeah, guys. <laughs> Is Wallflowers, uh, is that Jacob Dylan? Yeah, they're Jacob back, Dylan's by the way. Band. They're back. Because um, so, their song is in that movie, uh, Pete Davidson's movie. Right. Yeah, I, I did notice yeah. that. So what, what was that like? I mean, was that terrifying? Is that the biggest crowd you've ever been in Pete front Davidson's of? Pete Davidson's movie? It was terrifying. I mean, I mean, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Did you so, watch uh, it in between No Doubt and The Wallflowers? Yeah, you know, I mean, I don't support anything Judd does, but it was terrifying. I have family on Staten Island. No, uh, it was it was pretty <laughs> surreal, you know, because when you're going out to play uh, for, you know, you play to the room you're in, right? But when you realize you're playing to a room uh, that's not a room, it's an open-air NASCAR track, and there's 750,000 people, and if you try to look at the, it's not a room for crowd work, and it's the middle of the <laughs> afternoon, so it's broad daylight. All you see in front of you are girls that have passed out, being passed up to the front where the medics are with the hydration so you can't really do material uh, I just kind of did this it was the blockbuster rock fest and I just tried to turn it into a big pro wrestling thing I was just like you know welcome to blockbuster rock fest ah you know a room that big you just go for the applause lines I was like Dallas this is your Woodstock <laughs> we yeah. went from peace and love to be kind rewind ah. yeah we've you can't got get up wallflowers there. we've got jewel we have the most sanitary port of sand in the history of rock <laughs> it was like 10 minutes of improving stuff like that because chris rock's helicopter so, so you so you did your usual stuff <laughs> exactly i fell back on my usual material i do with the clubs and colleges see like what i would have done i, I would have done that so wrong like i would have gotten up there and just treated it like a normal i would have been like you guys ever like go to a store and like <laughs> you on your cashier's ignoring you you know and then I been, like, why is this not working um <laughs> So I want to, all right, so, you know, we're, this is kind of like uh, turning the tables because usually uh, me and Eric are on, yeah. on your show, but there's yeah. a lot of things I always wanted to ask. So like one of the things is you have these huge people on your show all the time. Okay. <laughs> like, I mean, what? a lot of them are working out though. They've, you know, I mean, they've, they've lost weight and they are making healthier choices. <laughs> so we all have to do is what this time is kind of all about. Stop yeah, fat shaming no. his uh, guests. I was just talking about when you had Fatty Arbuckle on <laughs> at one time. Well, that was tricky because believe it or not, uh, that was pre me too. And, uh, you know, <laughs> I, I kind of thought it was an edgy booking to begin with, but oh boy. <laughs> but is like, so you, you know, you interviewed Paul McCartney and George Harrison. Yeah. Um, and you, yeah. you've interviewed a lot of people. Actually, a, a, a few times when I've done your show, 
there would be people coming out that are like these huge like music legends that I get to meet, like David Crosby one time. Oh yeah, um, yeah. Wow. And Ronnie Spector. So has there ever been a guest <laughs> yeah. that came on that you were just such a that was such a huge icon that you were a huge fan of that it was almost that you felt like it was almost out of body the whole time when you were interviewing them. You were oh, like, how many am many I, times. how is this person even looking at me right now? Many times. Yeah. Who I is mean, someone that you had that experience? Was there someone that like stands out that you were kind of like, Oh man, I can't even get over this. Well, the good thing is that I, I worked in you know TV learning to interview for a long time before I went to radio. So I already got to embarrass myself in front of Paul McCartney and Bruce Springsteen years ago. But yeah, all the time, uh, artists, comedians, politicians. I mean, uh, off the top of my head, um, Carol Burnett, uh, oh, yeah. I had a Julie Andrews. I had a very hard time uh, not being a damn fool. Rakim was oh, very really? big for me. Uh, yeah, are you a Rakim, big Rakim fan? Yeah, and when he did the show, it was um, it was a really big moment. Brian Wilson was also big, yeah. not just because of how how you know important he is, but also he's a, a rather he can be a rather challenging interview. So yeah, was um, there was there one that was like very challenge like a very challenging interview? Just many. not even like mean, but someone that like would barely would just kind of maybe do like one word answers. He yeah, like, I've had mean fuck. before. I've had mean before, and I've had people who tried to give me shit. And I've talked to you know I've debated conservatives and all that. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I mean Brian Wilson, I, uh, his movie was coming out, the film about his life, Love and, and Mercy. Um, yeah, quite good film. Great. Um, and it was the day it came out and they didn't get screeners. So I had to go to like the 10.30 a.m., the earliest showing in Manhattan I could, and then go over to the studio for like a, an afternoon pre-tape. And I walked out of the theater and my phone went off and it said, he's here. He's being, uh, he's not in a good mood. He's only giving one word answers to everyone. He's okay. done with every interview, but they're waiting for you. And I literally ran about 25 blocks to get to the st- studio on time. Uh, and he was, um, he was in the control room taking a nap and I peeked in and just saw him. And when they brought me in, I just thought, okay, like imagine being someone like Bob Dylan or Brian Wilson and talking to dumb white guys all the time that the amount of dumb questions you get. I mean, I know it from when I've been a guest on shows and like this, you guys have a card in your hand. You don't care what I'm saying. You're not, you don't even, you're reading questions. Uh, so I just thought, all right, like I learned this with George Harrison, um, and I practiced it with William Shatner, but if you can find the thing that the guest is really into talking about that no one wants to talk about, they'll be happy. With George Harrison, when I finally talked about God and, and meditation and, and uh, what happens when you die and spirituality, he opened up. Oh, wow. um, so I, I, I began asking, and when I began talking to him, it was true, just one word answers, very clipped. So I began just asking him uh, a series of questions, rapid fire, about his work in the studio and Pro Tools and how it's changed and what kind of technology he likes. And no one asks him about that. Right. His brain lights up at that stuff, his particular brain. Uh, and he was, he, he, he still gave short answers, but he gave one sentence answers, not one word answers. Right. Um, and they all kept saying, he likes you, he likes you. And finally I said to him, uh, do you believe in God? And he said, I think music is God and the keyboard is my church. And I was like, we're done. Wow. We got our quote. Thanks, Brian. <laughs> we got it. Yeah, uh, he put a bow on it for there. me. Yeah. That's um, it. So do you believe that music is God, John? <laughs> That's our first. No. Um, all right. But before we, we uh, before you came up, we, we can talk about this real quick. So we were talking about the Chris D'Elia thing that just happened. Yeah. How about that? I want to talk about too Did you ever run into that guy at all? Probably not. Yeah. I mean, I've done, I've been on bills with him, but I don't know. I don't know him per se, but uh, yeah. you know, he's very successful and, uh, and he works a lot. Um, and uh, I don't, you know, I don't know him well, but uh, if you would ask me, was that on my 2020 end of the world bingo card? It was not. 
<laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I think what we were saying is, you know, we were kind of talking about the whole dynamic of, cause I had just watched like the Epstein documentary on Netflix. And I think we were kind of trying to discuss like what happens with these guys where they, they get caught up in this. It's almost like an, like almost like a, a sickness where they're addicted to, cause you know, we were, the whole thing with him is he obviously was able to like get a lot of women, but why couldn't it just have been like, you know, 19 year old women? Like what happens? I mean, 19, 19, come on, grandma. Jesus, 19. (laughs) Have some Geritol for foreplay, 19 year old grandma. What's the fun in that? But it's like a different life. It's like their head gets it. You know, I, I can't understand that, that kind of a life where, You've kind of had everything given to you from day one, and that's Cosby, isn't it? Though, yeah. isn't that Cosby? Is I mean, when you can have anything you want. Look, it's very important to stress that Chris has not been accused of actually uh, sexually assaulting anyone. Right. Um, he is accused of being, you know, creepy male behavior, sliding into DMs of underage women, which is not cool. Uh, Anthony Weiner never actually had any. He was, Anthony Weiner was the greatest sex scandal of all time with zero actual sex. If Anthony Weiner had had a mistress like a normal congressman, he'd still be serving right now. Uh, in this Trump, case, Trump may not be president either. That's true too. Yeah. You know, I, well, if we cared about underage girls, Trump wouldn't be president. Um, <laughs> I, I don't really, you know, I, it's not for me to comment. Uh, I think that one thing we all are generally mindful of and need to is that not everyone's sins are equal. Mm-hmm. George H.W. Bush grabbing women's butts uh, in his 80s is disgusting and should be mocked and ridiculed. It does not meet the same level of scandal as what Harvey Weinstein did. Um, The market will decide generally, and with Chris Delia, uh, he might be lucky that he's not more famous at the moment, but these stories will uh, either go away or they will snowball, and we'll probably know in a week what the impact will be. But it's it's career roulette right now, and um, I I have no problem with it, to be honest with you. I mean, I, I was one of those guys who uh, had to learn how to have a sense of humor to talk to girls. So <laughs> when I see men doing things that uh, they shouldn't be doing, my first thought is always, you can be replaced. But I got a pile of sins in my life, and artists are wired differently. And um, I think whatever happened, I, I have no opinion on, on what Chris may or may not have done. I think uh, the industry will decide for him, and I, I hope that uh, – you know, that, that this, if, if, if it's hard for him, then it'll be the beginning of the best period of his life. There's, there are people who've come back. There are people who have been felled by me too, who could have come back, but they've made some pretty bizarre choices to me. Um, I don't do you, know. What do you, can what do you, you say oh, specifically who you think that is? Oh, I think CK could have had the easiest comeback of anybody. Sure. I think he could have taken those women, every one of those women whose careers he may have compromised by abusing his power as a headliner done the I'm Sorry tour, played everywhere in America for two straight years. Act one is uh, three or four of those women going up on stage and roasting him every night, destroying oh, him. Idea. Act two is him coming out, taking his abuse, doing what made people like him in the first place. It's the I'm Sorry tour. You do it everywhere. You take your lumps. You do everything you can to use what fame and power you have left to help those women's careers, mm-hmm. and you show that you can take a joke in the process, and that would have been a smart way to diffuse it. But a lot of guys, you know, Charlie Rose within a month of losing his show, and I still miss pretending I watch Charlie Rose every night, um, <laughs> but he was already shopping a show about, like, uh, Me Too men who were trying yeah. to come back, and it's like, there's Are you redemption... Serious? Yeah. yeah, it was like, it was like, like a week later. A week oh later, God. and it's like there's redemption, but they don't want redemption. They're just talking about still being a celebrity. 
That's yeah. what that is. Still having a show. I think a good That's example. Redemption. Of redemption is uh, Howard Stern. I think that he. Yeah. I mean, he. I'm. I don't know what it was like over where you work, but uh, I mean, it seemed like he handled it pretty well, and he just said, "Listen, I, I'm a better person now." Basically, Howard Stern is someone I grew up listening to in the '80s in the afternoon on WNBC. I listened to him on the school bus on my Walkman, and I had a period where it was hard for me to listen to Howard. The the way he talked about women and gay people, um, and he's still very vulgar and not politically correct, but he is a model of how a man can grow and become a better version of himself without sacrificing the qualities that made him likable and interesting in the first place. And I think he's a testament also to, uh, to therapy. I mean, you know, yeah, it's definitely. great seeing Michael Phelps on a lot of therapy billboards, but dude, we saw a picture of your bong. We know you can cope seeing Howard Stern talking about the benefits of therapy over many years. That's going to get more guys into therapy than Woody Allen ever could. Um, yeah. so I agree. And I think to a lesser extent, Kobe Bryant, you know, uh, it's not very positive to say, but Kobe Bryant was someone who uh, wrote a hell of a letter, took a lot of responsibility, spent the rest of his life trying to not just atone for his own sins, but help girls get more involved in sports. And um, I think he's an example. He's pre-me too, but he's an example of somebody who uh, who tried to become a better person in a public way. And John Lennon as well. Oh, yeah. I mean, John Lennon beat his first wife. So what does that mean? I have to throw out my Beatles albums? John Lennon talked about it. And he talked about how he had been a violent man his whole life and how he was trying to get better. So... You know, I think yeah. any of us can get better, but getting better and getting famous again aren't the same things. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, and also I think with with Howard Stern, we would always kind. Of, I mean, first of all, it was a totally different time back then where you could get away with that kind of stuff and people weren't yeah. calling you out as much. But Plus also, he was known as a shock jock, really. Yeah, and exactly. I think what what the reason he kind of got away with it is because he was married the whole time, and he that's you, right. you, you always got the sense he wasn't like he would always be self deprecating about how he wasn't able to take advantage of his celebrity and like he, he wasn't all the like small penis jokes, all the small penis yeah. jokes years. And he wasn't like jokes. trying to sleep with the women. He wasn't sleeping with, them. he was just kind of being very, he was being misogynistic and saying yeah. shocking things. Yeah. But he was a he frustrated like, guy who got married young and he, yeah. And, and it was then, all like it was all like on the open with him a lot because everything he did was just on his show. So I feel like there was like a transparency, like the Louis CK thing was very like, Oh yeah, I'm this kind of a guy. Like he presented himself, and then uh, when you found out he wasn't that kind of a guy, that he actually was. It was right. That's kind of you know in the Bill. But again, again, that's why CK could have had the best comeback because this whole act was about what a scummy, disgusting man he was to begin with. So just own this and, and do it. But uh, I listened to the tape of him at Governors, the bootleg of him doing a set at Governors, and you know it was totally brilliant. It was great. It was everything we loved about him. Um, but it didn't address the the problem he had at all. It was just him complaining about all the money he lost. Uh, the bit about Asian men don't have penises. Yeah. Why are you going to do that now? Why are you going <laughs> to do that now? And, and the whole thing about taking on the, the park, the, uh, the parkland kids, I was just like, dude, do you want yeah. to have TV shows again? You knew <laughs> how to play the game before you knew how to play the game before. Right. Now you just got to play it in a new way. Well, did you I think, think he, I, did you think ahead. though that he? I thought he might have gone like the all right route. route. Like I was afraid would, of that. Yeah. I was afraid he would because uh, listening to some of the shows, it sounds like a dice audience from the nineties. Yeah. But to be well, honest, well, that's kind of it seemed like what he was doing. Like you know, no, I think I think what happened is at first he was like, all right, I'll apologize and try and be all nice. But then when it was like, you know what, fuck you, he was like, you know what, fuck you, I don't give a shit anymore. I'm not. I think you're apologize. exactly right. Yeah, I think you're exactly right by that. Yeah, and what's what's so interesting? Like you know, I watched his the, the last thing that he came out with, and what's so amazing to me about it is, and I think is more indicative of how it hurt him is that 
when it came out, everyone was like, oh, yeah, he's back. And then it kind of – and I thought it was good. I watched it. But the un – it went away so fast. I feel like it just showed how people were kind of like, yeah, that was good. All right, whatever. Like just kind of how people had moved on from him yeah. a lot. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like not even yeah, like surprising. angry, which is, the, which is even worse, which is – What's worse when you're trying to stay in the limelight, that what's worse than people being like, you know what, fuck you, da-da, is when people are just kind of like, yeah, who cares? I don't, like the you're apathy, right. that's the death of your career. Is but you know, the only thing Americans love more than putting people up on fame pedestals is tearing them <laughs> down. And normally it's taken, you know, uh, drug addiction to make that happen in this culture. Mm-hmm. Now, I mean, look, I think it's great that men are paying a price for, you know, that when, when mediocre men do this and abuse women which has gone on for i mean all of human history right like we're we're witnessing such incredible incredible leaps in in civilization and behavior and how we treat each other in really really a short amount of time like centuries and centuries of racism and homophobia and misogyny and then like boom in a five-year patch we get me too we get marriage equality we get uh, uh, you, you can't fire someone matter. for being trans right now. We get Black right. Lives Matter, uh, and, and we get you know ninety five protests in ninety five cities on the same night, leading to unprecedented reform on the local and state police level. Like, like, yeah, stuff takes a long time, but then it happens all at once. That's why I'm kind of really hopeful that America's on the verge of a very overdue period of good things happening. I, yeah, as don't, bad don't as it think- is. Sorry, don't you think the Black Lives Matter thing has been very effective, though? I, mean, I do, has- but I also think Occupy Wall Street was effective, too. I mean, we talk about the 99% and all that. That's all Occupy Wall Street. Occupy Wall Street was people who were so upset at, at how hard people work and at how much people's hard work isn't paid back in the society that they decided to go live in tents to protest, and those people got called lazy. But yeah. And it was under a democratic administration, but you know how much have they been proven right about? I mean, my right. God, Occupy Wall Street was right about everything. Bernie Sanders, uh, Occupy Wall Street was his opening act, and I think Bernie is the second act of a three-act beautiful story. You think um, though, with Occupy Wall Street, it was it was definitely not a violent kind of no, situation. But, no, but, the, but this the thing now, there, is, but this thing now has been, and it this has not. been violent. But it's not the protesters who are violent. It's it's males who show up to right. break shit, not males who show up to demand police reform. It's males who've been cooped up for three months. It's fucking testosterone rotting the brain, and it's guys who do not show up for justice and do not show up for righteousness. They show up to break shit. That's yeah. their agenda, and they're piggybacking on this parade. That's yeah. I don't think is. that has any effect on anything. Let like, me tell you something. Right. Anybody talking to you about riots or looting or law and order is doing it for, or Antifa is yeah. doing it for <laughs> one reason, okay? To change the subject from the one topic these marches were about, and that topic was that George Floyd had a right to not be murdered by a cop. That's the only discussion. Anything else is by a white person who doesn't want to talk about that. Well, Antifa. I loved when how Trump kept slipping in the Antifa, Antifa reference Jesus. over and over. He would it's just, not even I'm like a real organization. I'll right? declare them a terrorist organization. I'm like, bitch, you can't declare them an organization. Scattered <laughs> yeah. anarchist assholes just looking to burn things, and half of them are Republican operatives anyway, trying to you know yeah. spoil a, a decent movement. No, I'm not doing any of that shit, man. You look at how many chokeholds are being banned. Look at how a Brianna's law passed in Kentucky. Look at what we've seen, again, on the local and state level, because what Trump did was disgusting and nothing uh but it's happened so fast i mean it's happened so fast and i don't like rioting i don't like violence 
But I'm surprised there's not more violence. I'm surprised there's not more rioting and looting. Black, black Americans are the most patient, strong, graceful humans that have ever existed in this system to have gone 300 years of slavery, 100 years of apartheid, and 50 years of what are you people complaining about? The, the fact that there's not marches and, and, and you know, rioting every day is astonishing to me. Well, when I would hear about it, they can't get foam with soy milk. Well, when I would hear, like when, when it started after the George, George Floyd uh, death, um, when the protest started and people were like, you know, people are looting and they're burning things. I, I remember being like, yeah, good. I, w- I was kind of like, all right. I mean, I totally understand that. What do you want them to do? They're, they're, you know, if you're going to, if you're going to have a reaction to this because, you know, you've been ignored and marginalized, yeah, yeah it's going to come out maybe not in the perfect way that you – and also, like, that's how you get any, get attention from people. I'm not, like right. – I'm not saying it's good, but, I mean, part of me, I wasn't really one of those people that was like, well, because immediately everyone goes, so that's not right no matter what happened. Part of me was like, fuck it, man, like – this is what's finally getting people to listen. You know You're what I exactly mean? exactly right. This is it. It's here. I mean, and again, these are Trump supporters getting angry at the rioters. And I'm like, so wait a second. Trump supporter, you're telling me that you felt so unheard, so unrepresented. You felt like this country wasn't listening to you and your problems and your needs. So you did something that actually might be counterproductive and destructive to your community by voting for Donald Trump. And you don't understand why people are rioting. Jesus Christ. It's the same argument they've been making. Right. And it's a very desperation. We're tired of not being heard. Right. And it's a very unpopular, you know, I, I wasn't voicing that opinion a lot when it came up because it's hard to defend like, well, I think they should be burning things. But part yeah. of me was like, well, I mean, sometimes if you're, you know, you got to do something to get people to listen. I don't, I don't nothing's That's why I really like been it was, working. It was a little effective, maybe. Well, it's kind of like, you know, there's, an old, there's an old Tupac interview um, where he talks about if you're, he's kind of comparing, you know, the, the, the experience of like an Africa, you know, like, the, like the Panthers, like what they did basically, like imagine you're locked outside a room and you're starving and you know, inside there's food everywhere and they're just throwing it around and there's enough for everyone. And you're knocking your way in you're trying to right. sing your way in. And they're like, no, no, we're not going to let you. And he's like, once you're starving after like a month, you're not going to try to sing your way in. You're going to, it's going to change to like, I'm picking the lock. I'm coming in with a gun drawn right now. And it's kind of like, I always, I, I remember they always resonated with me because I was like, wow, that's a really good way to describe it because he was saying with the civil rights movement and all that, that's when they were asking. And then yeah. he's like, a lot of yeah. those people who in the civil rights movement, they're dead or in jail. What do you think we're going to do now? You think we're going to ask? It's like, no, we're not asking anyone. Well, but at the same time, I mean, this is the whole this is the whole, you know, SNCC versus MLK argument, right? Like I I'm I'm down with nonviolence. Uh that's my thing, one hundred percent. Uh I am one hundred percent anti-violence. I like fake violence, I like real peace. Uh I am hundred percent Gandhi, Emerson, Thoreau, MLK. Like John Lennon said, if you're violent, then they know what to do with you. There's right. they can't handle it. It's violence and humor. And I think, uh, I mean, nonviolence and humor. And for me, uh, nonviolence and ridicule are some of the most powerful weapons we have against fascists. And, uh, and history shows it. I mean, they know how to, we're having these protests because this is a culture that just throws guys in jail for decades to shut them up. Right. They're already good at that. So how right. do you get around that? And then it's, it's also, people are, so, it's, people are so misinformed about everything. Like the whole thing with the Supreme Court ruling that just came down of, of um, 
you can't file, fire someone for being gay or transgender. Yeah, and the DACA ruling today too. That was mind blowing to yeah. me. Like I was just like, wait a minute. Like this is a you could fire. There were states you could fire people for being gay. That we've been trying to pass the ENDA for years, the Employee Non Discrimination Act, and that's been a big struggle. Can ENDA ever pass? And look at this. Supreme Court full of right wing white guys came out and said, "Oh no, we'll we'll, we'll spare you that." Go ahead. And why do you think that ball. is? Why do you think like you know like Gorsuch and these these? Yeah, tell, I mean, what, what is it? Is it because they're kind of like, no, we're not going to do your dirty work for well, you? Gorsuch, like no, I think it's because Gorsuch and to a less uh, to a greater extent Roberts. Well, let's talk Roberts for Gor- Gorsuch. Mm-hmm. I, look, I don't think Gorsuch is pro gay marriage at all. I think Gorsuch would get rid of gay marriage if he could. But I do think he recognizes correctly that it is uh, against conservative thought to be able to fire a taxpaying citizen from the workplace because of who they are and how they love. It's just a basic liberties question. Um, And it's always the people who talk the most about liberty and freedom who want to stomp on somebody else for enjoying theirs. In the case of Roberts, he's more interesting. I think Roberts, he's become the swing vote. And I think it's for a very crucial reason. Uh, John Roberts does something that Mitch McConnell and Attorney General Barr can't do. He actually thinks about his place in history and (laughs) cares about how he looks. Bill Barr and McConnell amaze me that they are so indifferent to how evil they will look in history books forever, just how destructive and selfish and bought and paid for. Roberts knows, Roberts cares about his court not being a right-wing rubber stamp. It may be due to vanity, more than any kind of morality, but he's smart enough to know which way the wind is blowing. Most well, and that's what because it was interesting. Again, but having said that, it's fucking Robert's fault that you know black folks in uh, in in uh, Georgia had to wait seven hours to vote last week. All it right. is Robert's fault. Oh, for the voting rights thing, yeah. right? Two thousand thirteen, gutted it. Yeah, I mean, so do you think they had two good decisions this week, uh, the Supreme yeah. Court? Do you think the next one? I feel like there's going to be a bad one coming up. No, the next one's going to be Trump's taxes. That might be the bad one, but that's really you think you think so? I mean, that's it's coming up. You know, we we they they were good to the gays. They were good to DACA today. Uh, I mean, Trump's taxes is on the docket. Uh, It might be the next one. I'd like to think it will be. I think the American people deserve to know where their president gets his money, especially a president who is rumored in many ways to be compromised. There is substantial reason to believe that Russia owns two billions of debt of his through via Deutsche Bank. Mm-hmm. And uh, anyone who watched Helsinki, anyone who saw the footage of Helsinki should be demanding to know who's been paying this guy, especially because his two sons, Fredo and Shemp, have already admitted <laughs> in previous years that most of their money flows through Russia now. I mean, it's a big, but again, it's I mean, a John big- Bolton, a, but Bolton big, was kind of saying it in his book. Yeah, well, the look, New York real estate, man, it's all money laundering through New York real estate with this guy. And they play him like a fiddle once he's gone they'll have no use for him uh yeah i mean john bolton is you know one of the most morally corrupt men of my lifetime but he's right about this i mean he's happy to send your kids off to die in a war uh you know that he's willing to lie about but i mean i don't know who this book is for by the way is this book for people who hate donald trump but admire john bolton i don't understand <laughs> the audience but well it, it, the thing that pisses me off they all think he's a neocon anyway all the trump people well, yeah, well I he just, is. the thing that pisses me off about it is you know it's kind of like, well, where the fuck were you when you were in this administration and, you know, you actually could have done something. But all and, of like, them, during, Mattis, Mattis, That's Kelly. what I mean. All of Kelly. All like of when them. Kelly all came out leave. specifically and, and defended him, I think it was when about the thing of um, the, the soldier that had been killed yeah. and they, the way Trump had, spoke, had kind of like dismissed. Spoke to the mother. 
Yeah, and didn't Kelly come out and like yep. um, defend Donald Trump? And it, so th- that's what it's annoying me about all these guys. And I, I've been. T- it seems like. Do you agree with? There seems to be because you were talking about like the right side of history. Like I've always thought that with what's going on, but there seems to be a shift now where some people are realizing we're in the moment now where it's shifting from. Oh wait a minute, this is now becoming clearly the wrong side of history. Well, you got to remember that both hate and greed will make you stupid, especially if you're a man, right? I mean, hate makes you stupid. We see that on social media every day, but greed makes you really stupid. And like with this whole thing, this whole administration and the Bush administration before it, because they do have a lot in common. Uh, you know, the thing about both these administrations was that the the stupid was always greater than the sinister, right? The, the dumb was always bigger than the evil. I mean, you're a rapper. I, I call them dim shady. Uh, you know, and that's what has <laughs> always saved America from fascism is that the would-be fascists are always more stupid than they are evil. Right. Um, Vladimir Putin is an example of someone who is more smart than he is evil. But Donald Trump, Dick Cheney, George W. Bush, they're all guys who were, they were all evil, including W. The worst thing W did was make his father look good, and the worst thing Trump did was make W look good. Yeah. <laughs> People but love they were w all too now. dumb and ineffective to be to be good at being fascist. Thank <laughs> God. Right. So, what do you think? Of, so, th- this Bolton thing—that—that's what's been annoying me about the whole Bolton thing. Like, I—you're right. Where it's like, who, who is this book for? Because it's a lot of like. You know, he's giving these interviews and he's like, you know, Donald Trump, he's a liar. And I'm like, yeah, really? Like, these are really like these these are amazing revelations you're coming out with. Like, oh, I know. Right. But what is so he's just kind of what's annoying is like he's coming out with all these things that it's sort of. This is what's been so maddening for the last three and a half years. If you're, you know, not, if you're seemingly on the right side of history. Tell me. It's just um it's just been so like draining watching this and living through this because the powerlessness of it has just yeah. been so frustrating. Yeah. And when you kind of, and what, what happens, I was saying this before, like when he started running for president, I was so like mad all the time. Cause it would be that thing of like talking to people and not, and I couldn't fathom the other side of the argument that people would have yeah. I know. defending him. Yeah. And then it got to the point where I'm just like tired now. And I'm when things like this come out, it's just kind of like, yeah, all right, another another thing. But it's yeah, like everyone like we know he's corrupt. People um, don't care. We know he stole money from veterans with this fraud online university. We know he is so corrupt, he's not allowed to run a charity anymore. He paid 26 million in fines as president-elect for the fraud university, 2 million in fines as president for the fraud charity. We know all this, we know grab him by the pussy. This is just a moral IQ test at this point. I mean, here's what I do with all my Trump-loving people that I deal with. And at this point- You have, you have some them, calling up your show sometimes, right? All the time, I talk to yeah. them all the time. I, at this point- Unlike guys, Rush Limbaugh, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, I wish we had more because, you know, here's the here's why they don't call our show, because we're really nice and we ask questions that they don't like answering. So the first question I ask anyone who's trying to engage me on a Trump thing at this point, guys, because I'm just burned out from it all. We've got what I call what the fuck fatigue. I talk about this in my stand up. We are just the pardoning of Joe Arpaio was 4,000 what the fucks ago. This is how <laughs> gaslighting works. Our outrage circuits are burned out. So at this point, this desolate, burnt out, dead inside thing that I am, someone tries talking Trump with me, he's not racist. The first thing I do, first thing I do every time is I just ask a question. It's a very simple question. I have a list of 75 questions that I put online as questions for Trump defenders. Really? um, Really simple questions, but this one is very simple. It's where was Barack Obama born? (laughs) 
try this question sometime if it, and you'll find out right away what you're dealing with. Because, you know, if they, if they try to, he- well, I don't know. It's not important. I wasn't there. Were you? He claims he was born in America. And I see, no, 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 no. Anyone who says that is someone who's saying that Donald Trump's lies and racism matter more to them than the truth. Yeah. Donald Trump actually came out in the end of the campaign of 2016 and acknowledged that Barack yeah. Obama was born here. He lied that Hillary Clinton had started that rumor. That's a complete lie. She never said it once. He said it hundreds of times for years with no evidence. Pushed this racist smear that the first black president wasn't born here. This is the media's original sin with Donald Trump, that they let him walk on this. And no one asks him to hold him to account for this racist lie he pushed for years. So I say to people, where was he born? If there's any hesitation, if there's any kind of pushback, if they can't, and then I'll say, okay, I'll give you a hint. It's Hawaii. <laughs> Where was Barack Obama born? If they still can't answer it, after their own grand venereal wizard admitted it himself, mm. which they probably don't know because Fox never showed that clip, uh, if they still can't answer a simple, and, and there was never a debate about Obama's birthplace. There was never a controversy. There was always an announcement in a Hawaii newspaper in 1961 with his name. There was never a question of it. There was never a debate. It's just racist pushing a racist smear. That's what he tried to do with Ukraine. You know, he, he gets mad when you don't back up his lies. The president of Ukraine wouldn't back up this fake investigation of Joe Biden, so he cut off aid. Remember when he mocked the disabled reporter? That's because the reporter wouldn't back up Trump's lie that there were thousands of Muslims celebrating on 9-11. So he will punish you if you don't go on board with him and, and back up his lies. But the birtherism thing, man, try it with your whatever <laughs> no no you're right it, it, it's always it's so it's so like that's, that's another thing it's so agonizing watching it's the, I, it's the iq test number one it'll it's, save well, you it's so watching much those time. interviews at the trump rallies like you know that you know those guys like jordan klepper would do and they oh yeah they always immediately go to like he's a muslim you know and it, i it's so amazing that people still say that like they're like yeah. he's a muslim and he never proved you know he's a muslim just, who supports gay marriage and never <laughs> prays and it's just and he never showed his person and i'm just like it's it's mind-blowing to watch this and he, like, was pres- he was president during the depression he caused a depression right yeah he caused. that's another simple question for them i always say please tell me a how barack obama left the economy worse than he found it and then for these people who claim you know trump gave a great economy i always say please name for me which Obama economic trends Donald Trump reversed as opposed to continued and took credit for? You know, Barack Obama cut the black and Latino unemployment rate in half. Under Trump, those rates went down. Those trends continued one more point. So Trump takes credit for lowest. I mean, it's a mediocre white man taking credit for a black man's work. It's the story of Going America. back to me being a rapper. Exactly right. <laughs> well, that's more cultural appropriation. Um. I, uh, no, it's, I, I, you know, in Dallas, I was talking to some, like a Trump person and, uh, in Dallas, that's surprising. (laughs) And I mean, I made the mistake of kind of engaging and, but again, they made a comment. They were like, well, I mean, Obama got us into a depression. And I was like, and I remember just being like, and I mean, this is like a smart, you know, somewhat informed somewhat person. And I was kind of like, are you, uh, (laughs) <laughs> then you ask the question. You just ask the questions. Ask when that happened. How did Obama leave the economy worse than he found it? But Obama? the problem is they just they they talk. It's like him. Yes, but that's why you don't. De- but that's why that's why you don't debate in a vacuum. Never debate one on one. Only debate these people with an audience because they're in a cult. 
So you will never, ever, yeah. ever move them. Like, like we used to think that being progressive was about standing up for the marginalized and fighting for unions and women and minorities and immigrants and gay people. And no, now progressive means two plus two is four. The sky is blue. We're fighting for basic empirical reality right. now. So they'll never believe it, but you'll reach the bystanders and you'll reach their kids. If you just ask questions, don't get angry, don't hate them back and watch them sputter and flip out. That's how you marginalize them. Not by calling them names, not by hating them. That just makes them think they're right. You engage them, you treat them with respect, you ask them very simple questions, and you make them look like the misinformed morons they are. And you've had this a lot, just basically on your Every show day. for the most yeah. part. But you're, but you're good at it. You don't get mad. I mean, it's I get hard mad. I just, I just, I get mad. I try not to show it. I've had a lot of practice. I got a black belt in it, swallowing my anger. Oh my, I'm like an how Irish do you, Catholic wife. Forget about yeah, it. Yeah, you don't seem like someone that, that loses your control. I swallow you, rage you, like Melania. <laughs> Well, you're a well, you're a comedian. I was saying the other day that I this whole thing is just kind of illustrated to me, and I've always been aware of it. Like the comedians are, you know, inherently have a, a, a what drives them to comedy. I think is they're just so outraged by what's going on around them, and there's so much rage, but that they have to express it some way. Not all yeah. of them, but a lot of them, and I think it's because comedians to be comedian especially if you're good you do see things differently so you you're kind to. of in a world where you almost feel like an alien where you're like how is everyone not seeing this this yeah. way so it's kind of like all right well i'm gonna go up and i'm gonna tell people how it's actually how exactly. what's actually going on so it's you know i feel like tell this the whole truth and make it entertaining right look billy wilder said if you're gonna tell people the truth make it funny or they'll kill you and that's been my guiding right. principle and I, I, I was thinking that young, that must have happened with me. I don't know. And I think it probably happens with a lot of comedians where they learn young that just being angry doesn't work. The way you get people's attention and people to like you is like sneaking it in. Because I, I have that with Twitter. Like when the George Floyd murder happened, I was so angry and I wanted, you know, and, and everything that's going on with the Trump administration. I'm always like, just like, I'll be writing these tweets that aren't funny. They're just angry. And I'm like, I have to make this funny and I think it's kind of a Gen Xy thing too, of like you got to kind of seem detached to all that from all this, <laughs> and like I guess. kind of like you don't really give a shit. You're not worked up about it. Like you is just that a really of, a, is that really a Gen Xy thing, or is that is that what the media depiction of Gen X was though? Mm, because I remember a lot of uh, Gen X people were the ones who were protesting apartheid. Gen X people were the ones who protested, you know, the first Iraq War. I, I, I mean, I know the jaded Gen X thing is how we're supposed to be viewed, man. Uh, and, and we are the forgotten generation. I mean, Gen X is the lost generation. You talk to someone, it goes greatest generation to boomers, to millennials. Well, that's what I mean. And like, but I feel like it, it being, we were kind of like the ignored child in a family and the yeah. ignored child a lot of times has to like develop this sense of humor and the detachedness to survive, to be like, so I think that's, it probably is a combination of how we were portrayed in the media, and we probably took it up. But when you but look at a lot protests, of protests, you couldn't make like funny jokes about it, though. You can make jokes about anything if you find I mean, a way to make I it mean, funny. I mean, like right after it happened, I think on social media, if anyone was being too kind of silly with their well, material, you can't make fun of racism. But fortunately, right. racists are consistently hilarious. <laughs> I mean, ridiculing racists is doing the Lord's work. Ridiculing the bullshit pretzels, racists, the, the, the knots they tie themselves into to justify horrible things—that's always due for ridicule. As long as you know, know your target, right? Like I once had a, I once had a, an executive VET tell me the rules of the N word, and, and it's fascinating. Um, it, it's something I call CIA: uh, context, audience, and intent. And in making any kind of political or social humor, you always think about what am I trying to say? You know, what's the target? 
in what context and who is this for? Uh, and if that's the case, I mean, you can't make fun of rape, but you got to make fun of Brock Turner. There's shit in my fridge that was in, in my fridge longer than he was in jail. My God, it's important <laughs> to make fun of all this evil. But yeah. the question we, we face is trying to find ways that that'll get us invited back to the clubs. Yeah, and so I do feel like I've just read uh, read up a lot recently. You're right, there's a lot of the media, but like kind of when you look at like a lot of our, the Gen X heroes that we had, and a lot of them were very kind of like... Yeah, who are they? Ethan Hawke? I don't know. <laughs> well, like, you know, like that Bill Murray was kind of became like a Gen X kind of... Like he almost kind of represented... You know, oh, you're talking about like the heroes, heroes, like well, like the oh, but, you know people a, that we grew what a hero to Gen X, but not a Bill Murray's a Bill right. Murray's no, like a, a hero to Gen X. Like yeah, when we that's were, what when I, we were I, young. Yeah. We were young. Yeah. We can't and but he kind of encapsulated the attitude like the Gen X kind of developed, where it was kind of like yeah, you just you you seem very like you don't get worked up about anything. You just you're very detached, and you're kind of the snark. You say something snarky, and then you just kind of move on. And you're like, wow, this guy doesn't really care about. I know personally that I remember young watching like Bill Murray and David Letterman really, and I think I didn't realize it at the time, but I felt very like marginalized and invisible. And I think I, I without realizing it, was like, oh, these are the guys. This is how you have to be. Yeah. You just have to kind of be the funniest guy in the room. You just say the thing. You don't give a shit. And you walk, you know, and like Nirvana yeah. was a very, the attitude was like, kind of like, whatever, who cares? They were hilarious. Those guys were very funny. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but do you know what I mean? It was kind of like. One guy's a big Trump Trumper. Uh, he, I, I don't oh, know yeah. what's going on. I don't know about that. Chris, no, but I don't understand that story. Chris has always been a hardcore leftist activist in Seattle. Uh, I've never met him, but we've emailed before. I don't have any idea what that's about. I mean, midlife crisis affects men in all kinds of ways science can't explain yet. Uh, but I, I still need to get the context on, on that. Yeah, people were freaked out about that. I'm freaked out by that. Yeah, yeah I always thought it. that too, because the last time I heard about him kind of being in the public eye was, yeah, he did seem like a uh, like a leftist activist. He was. Uh, guy, he was a big so. leftist in Seattle. He's a huge local uh, politics activist in Seattle, yeah. Especially so Dave, Dave Grohl is so cool, and I, I, you ever see that video where he's protesting the Baptist Church? Yeah. Um, so I mean, that's always he got a lot of uh, liberal cred from that. I think. I think so. Yeah. Well, maybe if Kurt Cobain had lived, you know, now he would have been like like uh, alt right or something. Who knows? No, I think no, Kurt, I'm just if, he wouldn't be, if Kurt Cobain had lived, he would have been like a, a, a Dylan or a Neil Young, and he would not have cared about staying popular. He would have tried to sabotage his own popularity many times, and then come Definitely. out right out. He would have aged so beautifully. I mean, Bob Dylan is releasing an album tomorrow that is just, it's his fourth great comeback album. It's the most beautiful record I've heard in ages. It is like one of those Dylan albums. It's like a real masterpiece. Like not like two great songs and eight tracks of filler and yeah. critics call it a masterpiece. Like every song's a movie on this record. And I always believe that, you know, Kurt Cobain, uh, uh, Jeff Buckley, Elliot Smith, oh, yeah. so many of the, you know, Gen X artists that we liked, um, would be doing really interesting, beautiful music, much like Neil Young and Bob Dylan. They would take risks. They'd be hit or miss. They wouldn't try to be McCartney and have a hit album all the time. And I love McCartney, but you know mm -hmm. what I mean? Like they, they'd be like Lennon. They, they, they'd be willing to, to do unpopular things. That was kind of what grunge was all about was challenging right. the whole notion of popularity for a deeper truth. So it was almost like, you, yeah, Tom, I think, I think Kurt Cobain would just be doing really interesting stuff and he'd have fewer fans and that's how he'd want it. It was almost like the, the like huge Billy Corrigan, right? Billy Corrigan. Yeah. Well, Billy Corrigan did go right wing. Yeah, but yeah. I don't. I don't put Billy Corrigan. No, I don't put him on the same. Creative no. Levels as other no. Um, I almost feel like that they, was disappointing, though. 
I feel like they kind of rode, you know, that grunge wave. They kind of came after. Yeah, they weren't really grunge. They, well, they had it's a lot almost of like influences, but it's almost like what what ruined Kurt Cobain was kind of him getting exactly what he always thought he wanted, and then realizing he didn't want it. Like the immense popularity was sort of like it was so, like he wanted to be successful, but it was like too much. Almost it seemed like I think taking him. a lot of heroin for your stomach pains is what ruined Kurt Cobain personally. <laughs> well, that too, but it, it also yeah, I mean definitely. Well, I, you know, obviously hey, like heroin. heroin I'm sorry, I think heroin ruined him. I mean, I think he because you can listen to that like live Nirvana record uh, mm -hmm. from the Muddy Banks of Wishka. Uh, or listen to the unplugged. I mean, their late stuff was still really great. Um, I just think he was someone who, you know, he was another victim of the opioid crisis, just like Tom Brady, right, right. just like Prince. Yeah, yeah. But well, he, I think he's, same thing. he's a good example of like everyone, you know, has this idea of, you know, like celebrity culture and like the ultimate goal is to become rich and famous. And like, wow, if if I become rich and famous, all my problems will be solved. But yeah. It's got to be really scary when you aspire to that and then you're on the other end of that and you're still miserable. Yeah. That sounds like the most terrifying thing. Well, that's in the world because to me. it's because people don't want to be a great artist. They want to be a great celebrity. Mm. They don't want to do the. I mean, Kardashians are the most destructive thing to happen. What is their craft? <laughs> what is their sex tapes and shopping and talking about themselves? Like, what is their craft? Yeah. They have nothing. They're. God bless them. They're a one in a billion long shot. I mean, if OJ hadn't killed those two people, we'd never know what a Kardashian was. So, you know, <laughs> right. they are more a symbol of Amer of what's wrong with America. But this whole notion that the fame is the object, not what gets you there, yeah. has led to a lot of really boring pe white when people. When do you think when do you think that shifted? I don't know. Because you see that with a lot of very young comics, very young comics, especially now. You see that they know they don't have to even get good to get yeah. famous. Sure. Yeah, I mean, it's all about marketing. It's all about. It's almost that. a detriment now being good to being famous. Well, I don't know. I mean, I think <laughs> maybe. No, but I, I just remember, I like, when I was younger, when I was younger, and I wa I was like, oh, I, I would maybe, you know, want to be, you know, in the entertainment industry. The people I looked up to were were talented people who were the the, the idea of like the idea what you had or I had of it was. Oh, you! If you're good at something, then you'll get attention, and then it's yeah, good because you actually work. It. But I'm like, that's why, why, the, why do boys pick up guitars to impress girls? You know, you, right. and along the way, some of them become really great craftsmen. But then it's like it shifted where it became you didn't have to be good, and I think yeah. that's what was so confusing because that's when I was like pursuing, you know, stand up, and then I was like, wait a minute, you don't even have to be, you don't have to do anything, <laughs> like just like like YouTube stars who can sell out a room but never learned how to have stage presence or. Stage technique, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and then I remember really, like two seconds you need. Material. And people would tell me like, you know, you're, you're so good. Like, why are you more famous? And I was like, I don't know, dude. Like, well, I just wanted to be good. I, you yeah, know, that's well, it. That's you, it. You shouldn't be like, um, it's, it's, it was almost like an insult to me that I was like, good. You know what I mean? Like that that didn't. <laughs> an insult to me that you're good, Tom. I'm offended by you being good. All right, we'll, I, I don't we'll, know how to explain we'll, it. We'll wrap up soon. Uh, um, All right, yeah. My just, whole strategy, my whole career plan is for every man more successful than me to disgrace himself <laughs> with women, and then I just move up to the top. That's that's my entire. <laughs> so did you get, are you, did, did you get ahead, a, I just had a quick, quick one. Do you get annoyed that we were asking, talking about politics? Because I know you. No, I love both of you, yeah. and I think you're both like really great writers, and I will uh, sit here with you guys every – I'll bring coffee next time. I'll do this all the time <laughs> with you guys. I just figured that you, you talk about it so much. I, you I know how much know. I've been talking about like stuff with a seven-year-old for 13 weeks straight? <laughs> this is – 
<laughs> day 97 for me. I, 97 days since I was in my studio, 97 days since my uh, seven-year-old went to, oh wait, now he's eight since he went to school. Um, you wow. know, this is light, really. How is it going like, for you there? Like, are you just, are you just inside all the time? Are you just doing your no, show from uh, your no, apartment? No, I, I actually, I'm doing my show from my apartment for 13 weeks. That's been Is that great or is it, do you not like um, it? Um, you know, the, the microphone is not as good. So sometimes I'll get complaints that, you know, I can't do as much creatively. Uh, we've had three times when the power went out and uh, my internet went out and my connection dropped and they had to vamp until I could come back. We had one night in a storm when we just had to roll the best up in. It was really frustrating. So, you know, uh, was I that when you were interviewing uh, Paul McCartney and George <laughs> Harrison? Imagine yeah, how embarrassing that would be. Those guys were for TV. I've never had a Beatle on my radio show, but I've had, I've had uh, both guys from the who and I've had uh, half the monkeys and uh, one quarter of the Sex Pistols. I've had, you know, whatever. Wow. Did you have Bob Dylan on your show ever? Never had Bob Dylan, no. I've never uh, interviewed him. I've never met him. I've, I've, I've stood next to him before, but I've, I've never... I, there's nothing I can give him. That, that There's nothing I can give him. Is there, I can are, you, I, 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 are you a huge fan of his? Is that a dumb question? I mean, yeah. yeah. You like yeah. you're a huge fan. But you're a big pretty Beatles much. fan. He's, he's pretty good. Dylan and the Beatles. I mean, I'm kind of a fanatic on Dylan and the Beatles and a few other people, but since I was a kid, it's been Dylan and yeah, the Beatles. Yeah, you bet on the right horses. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I mean, George Carlin changed my life too. I love lots of artists that I just love passionately that, that continue to inspire me. And it's so nice to have an artist I've loved most of my life, like Bob at 79, putting out, honestly, like one of the 15 best records of his career, if not one of the 10 best records. This new record's astonishing. And to see someone that old who's been at it that long who's so burned out who has been a freak because he's been worshipped as a god for over half a century mm. and he's still putting out interesting compelling challenging sonically adventurous lyrically adventurous funny spooky weird beautiful stuff it's it's great it makes me want to write all the time and that's the best feeling i just did a i just did a film you know i had three different tours i was working on that all got scrapped oh. my wife just quit her job she gave nine months notice uh, her last day of work was two days before lockdown. So she had a great time. Um, and like I said, it's okay, honey, you can quit your job. I'm going to be on the road every weekend. It's a presidential election year. I'm going to make so much money. So we, the tours were scrapped. One of the tours I do did a, a pay-per-view special last week for the first time. And they asked me to submit something. And I thought, well, it's not a stand-up show. This is a film festival. And uh, I mean, I don't know. We, we can all talk all day about how we're in the golden age of, Zoom comedy that looks like an 80s Beirut hostage video. I mean, speaking of putty-colored walls and bookshelves behind me. And uh, so I did something. I did. I, I filmed my set on the streets of New York. I I, I went out to the city, and I, I, I didn't see on the news, like, they all talked about how we had the highest death toll and the highest infection rate. No one talked about the quiet. But mm. all you could hear in the city for the month of April were birds and sirens. And, and then, briefly, all you could hear was sirens and helicopters. Now all you hear is cars and air conditioners and sirens. It's very loud again. But I went out with Natalia Reagan and we shot, uh, you know, I'm, I'm trying to make a special of this. We shot it on an iPhone so it looked really raw. Oh, that's and cool. I shot like a 40-minute film that I cut down to 20 minutes. And it's me shooting a video, doing stand-up about how empty the city is and all that's happened so far in this plague. And then suddenly everything changes in Minneapolis and it's not a quiet city anymore. And there's hundreds of marchers around me and it's all gone radically different. And it, it aired last week. And for me, just to have the experience of having a deadline, having to put something together, having to write it, shoot it, see how much it sucked, reshoot it, rewrite it, put cobble it all together, figure out what it is and turn it in by a deadline. It was the best thing that's happened to me all year. And it happened to me because of this plague. And it right. heightened all the senses. If you have a project 
that you're passionate about, something creative that you're really focused on, even if that's just, you know, you're, you're, you're making a table or I mean, anything sure. creative, it, it can save you in a time like this. And, uh, I'm really grateful for it. Like I'm like you guys probably like I, I have to work and if I don't work, I'm going to lose my mind and I have to do creative work. So, um, where can you find that thing? Like that thing it. is, it's you have to you have to pay like twelve bucks to get it through a, a sexyliberal.com and Stephanie Miller's sexy liberal tour. We did a show with me and her and Hal Sparks and Rob Reiner. Oh uh, wow, Frangela. Uh, it was fun, but we're gonna do another one in July, and I'm shooting. That was called the Quarantine Diaries. Now I'm doing the Reopening Diaries, and it's me in a mask surrounded by tons of fucking New Yorkers because it's horrifying how no one gives a shit about 119,000 dead people and we're all acting like it's normal. Uh, but it's funny. And so, you know, like to, to work on, just to have a project to work on and throw yourself into, it'll save your life. You don't need to yeah. buy stuff. You need to. It's very you, important right now. Yeah, because I've been finding that. Yeah, you just. Yeah, the stuff you need to save you is already inside of you. Get it out. You don't need to buy new stuff for your life. You need to get something out of you. And, and that's what's going to help you in this time. Oh, that's really, that's really interesting. I, I stole it from blue collar comedy tape I had, but I didn't really write that. <laughs> I had a feeling it sounded yeah, like sorry. something that um, I think he, he's got to get to work soon. So, uh, all right. <laughs> I do. Yeah. I got <laughs> like real radio work. soon. Um, so we're, we're doing the show at night now. I hope you both will, uh, will join us on the show. It's a lot yeah, it's of at fun. nine yeah. o'clock, nine o'clock. It's been a crazy fun doing it. We had David Crosby join us the first week and we've been having people from Jane Lynch to uh, Congressman Ted Lewis become a regular. Wow. We had Tommy Chong on 420 day. Um, it's been really, really fun. The, the mix of journalists and celebrities and comics. I, uh, I know. We're getting every night. Last time I was there, you said I think you had Rosario Dawson on. Yes. Yeah. And Corey Booker was there, but he was there hanging out. Yeah. yeah. Or they're dating. They're nice. dating. Yeah. All right. They're cool. they're a couple. I'm very happy for them. Yes. Yeah. I'm trying to get too. him on the show. So. Yeah, yeah that's good. That, that's yeah. Um, she was. Great. That was. He was just the one guy. I was like, I can't believe he had. There was no traction with him. I see him on, on TV now. I'm like, how did this guy not win the nomination? It's a really crowded field. You know, yeah. he would have been a great running mate for an Elizabeth Warren, um, but it was a, a really, really crowded field. And he's seen as young. And uh, honestly, I mean, you know, there were so many compelling people. And I think the Democratic Party finally decided they just wanted to win this with the safest yeah. possible ticket. Who do you, do you have any thoughts on who you think the VP pick will be? Yeah, I do. I don't think it'll be Elizabeth Warren. Um, although if it is, Donald Trump's going to be proven right about his conspiracy theories, but you can look at his tweets and figure out what I'm talking about. I think it's going to be, uh, if I were advising, you know, in 2017, I said the most, the safest possible ticket would be Biden-Harris. And I still think so. Although yeah. I think Val Demings is very compelling. Val Demings in Florida, uh, mm. in both cases, the best person for Biden to have as his running mate is a black woman cop. For where <laughs> we're at right now, a black woman cop after the presidency of racism, Me Too, and police brutality, a black woman cop on the ticket is smart. If it's Kamala Harris, she can make mincemeat out of Mike Pence. She's a great talker. People will feel like, well, she's ready to be president if, if anything happens to the oldest man ever elected. Um, <laughs> but they don't need California. They're going to win California no matter what. Right. Now, right. Demings is a grandma. She rides a Harley. She's black. She is the former uh, police chief of right. the Orlando Police Department. Now, again, you have a a cop, you get rid of all this Democrats are soft on crime, Democrats want to defund police, all this bullshit Donald Trump's going to be throwing at you. You take what the liberals don't like about law enforcement and use it to sell yourself to the moderates. It's the Democratic playbook and it works. Right. And uh, and I, I, I don't know, I think that those two are the strongest. And if it's Val Demings, Democrats, you need Florida. You need yeah. Florida. 
Right, right. I, I know. Black, black, black grandma, former chief of police who rides a Harley as Joe <laughs> Biden's running mate. I mean, I'm here to help Democrats, please. <laughs> it's a good combination. Yeah. I mean, yeah. What, what are you, who do you, who do you, guys I, like? I mean, I, I, I'm Kamala, Kamala Harris. I was thinking yeah. Kamala Harris too. I, yeah. I, I don't, I, I think she'd be great. I did, but, uh, she'd be great. I, I mean, yeah, she, she's someone I, I thought was kind of the front row. I remember hearing recently about that, you know, Elizabeth Warren was kind of, was seeming like a pick, but I don't, I don't, I, I don't think you're going to see, you're not going to see two white people in their yeah. 70s on the East Coast on the same ticket. I hope not. Yeah. So. All right. Uh, well, oh, John yeah. Fugel saying thanks yeah. so much. Do you have much anything for, to plug? Uh, you yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm on Sirius XM uh, five nights a week um, uh, on the Progress Channel 127 from nine to midnight Eastern, six to nine Pacific. Uh, of course, you can always call me on that show too. I like to talk. You don't need to subscribe to call up. Uh, I do a podcast called the Sanity Cast. It's about how to stay sane when the Christians have elected Caligula, and um, <laughs> we've had guests ranging from uh, you know uh, Elaine Boozler to, to David Crosby. I mean, wow. it's sanity. What do you think of Morning Cross? Um, so, you know, uh, hopefully back soon at a, at a, a club near you. And if you go to sexyliberal.com, you can see part one of my, uh, my special or just wait because, um, I'm, I'm going back to shoot out in the city next week. It's really amazing shooting in New York city for the first time in my life after 20 years shooting here when it's just so quiet yeah. and that quiet is over now. But uh, I, I'm here to see how comedians are finding new ways to be creative. I, I love yeah, you guys that's amazing. Do. Yeah, it's really a, an honor to be on your podcast. Oh, thank um, yeah, hey, thanks. Yeah, thank uh, we're honored to have you on. Yeah, this, thank this you is so a much. Huge get for Great us. Time. Stop yeah. it, please. I'm honored. You guys are brilliant. Come on, Mike. Come on the show more often. Call in. We, we're we're playing yeah, games yeah, and having definitely. fun and getting out. Yeah, no, we, we yeah, I would love to. Um, love okay, great white guys love it on each other. That's what y'all have been <laughs> watching. <here. laughs> um, okay, John Fugelson. Thanks. Thanks again, man. Thanks a lot. Thank uh, you both. Can you, about you, are, everything. Are you going to validate my parking? I was told that that would happen <laughs> if I did this. Um, no, we're actually going to make your parking twice as expensive. Oh, it's okay. It's <laughs> New York City. There's plenty of spots now. Yeah. Although they're getting right, rid right. of alternate side next week. So, mm -hmm. oh. well, we're going to buy you a car. Yeah. Actually, we, we call it alt sides. <laughs> yeah. Thank you both. Thanks a lot. All right, John. We'll talk to you soon. Peace. Bye bye. Uh, Okay, so that's the show. Yeah, that we're, uh, that's the show. Thank you very much. Thanks for uh, tuning in. Last Exit of Brooklyn, Stork Media Podcast Network. Uh, please um, rate and review and subscribe, and we'll see you next time. All right. Cool. All right.
Money well spent on the rider Vapor 